Yesterday evening, as we were sitting down, taking it easy, just a little, I guess at around 6 o'clock, our grandson sent us a picture in Texas. He works on these generating towers. He said, Grandma, Grandpa, I want you to see the sunset from where I am. And as we looked, the sun was going down, a beautiful beyond description. But I thought to myself, you know, the sun's setting on this world. It's rapidly coming to the very instances that prophecy tells us will happen at the end times. I don't know whether you watched the news this morning or not, but Afghanistan had an earthquake. 2,000 so far have been killed. Then we had the new war that's developed in Israel. And Red sent out a notice yesterday on his podcast. Is this the war of Ezekiel in 39? We don't know, but it certainly could be. We know that things are at that, that point when that it's going to escalate at more and more of a rapid pace. And so we need to be ready. And that is a good subject that I have studied quite extensively is the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. Maybe that's another sermon for another time and place. <laughs> we'll see how that works out. This morning I want to bring you <clears throat> a subject and I will develop it as we go get into it. We had hoped. This is one of my favorite areas of scripture. The road to Emmaus. The two disciples walking on it. When we were in Kansas, we went to a used bookstore, which is always a disaster for me. I told my wife, I'm not going to buy anything. And lo and behold, it just reached out and grabbed me. And I said, honey, I apologize. But David Limbaugh has written a book called The Emmaus Code. That's Rush Limbaugh's brother, a dedicated Christian, a lawyer, a very intelligent man. And he had gone through the scriptures to relate what Jesus had spoken to these two on the road to Emmaus. He began with Moses. And so we're going to cover some of that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that the word is true. And every portion of prophecy that has been given from beginning to end will be literally fulfilled to the very minute detail. And this morning, Father, we are a people that we have hope. And we want to thank you for that. But as we begin this study here, we can see that people can become tripped up. And we're going to look at the reasons why they do in believing all the word of God. So, Father, touch this message as we look to you. We just ask that you will bless. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. It was the month in 1940. The Germans had begun an all-out assault on northwest Europe known as the Battle of France. The Germans used what they call the Blitzkrieg, an intense military campaign intended to bring about a swift victory. They put everything they had to make sure that this went the way they wanted it to. The German forces were overwhelmed, or the German forces overwhelmed the French army, and then on June 14th, 1940, you can put these slides up there for the people to see. The proud, conquering Germans that the French had fought so valiantly against marched into Paris. France had fallen. The expression on this, what they call the weeping Frenchman, I think, portrays these two men that were walking on the road to Emmaus. They had hoped. They put all of their confidence, all of their future in this one called Jesus. So let's take up our... can turn that down. I'm going to get a lot of interference when I brush against it someday. We'll have a technology where we don't have to do anything, but it'll do it. (laughs) But in Luke chapter 24, we'll take up our study there. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
And they were walking with each other and talking about all these things that had happened. Now, one of the disciples' name was Cleopas. And he was married, so they believed that this other one that he was walking with was his wife. And they were talking about the things that had taken place. The two had just been through a crushing experience. These two who followed Jesus, they had accepted Jesus as the promised Messiah. The one that Israel had been looking for, the one that the prophet spoke about, was sure to come. They had heard him speak. He spoke as no other man spoke. Powerful words that healed the sick, raised the dead. And it is estimated that the raising of Lazarus had taken two weeks prior to this event. Very close to the time of Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus was received as the Messiah. He, it was being expected. The people that knew God's word, had studied the scriptures, was devoutly devoted to him, were expecting the arrival of the Messiah. You remember how that Simeon had been promised in Luke two twenty-five and 26, that he would not die until he had seen the very Messiah with his own eyes. And when they brought Jesus to the temple, he took that little baby in his arms and he praised God. He had seen the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, the coming Son of God. And so he said, now let thy servant depart in peace. So it was expected that the Messiah was coming. And then in John 1, verses 36 and 37, when John had pointed out Jesus, two disciples of John who had been following him, followed Jesus. When he indicated that this was the one, the Lamb of God, they left John. They'd been faithful to John and they followed Jesus. And you know, the marks of a great man is that this man wasn't jealous. He wasn't out to make a name for himself. He was to become, he was the forerunner of Christ to pave the pathway for the Messiah. All the garbage that the Pharisees and the, Fer- and the Sadducees had brought into the worship of the Lord God, he came to set the way smooth. And so when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. I'm looking at the clock because I can get carried away and I don't want to wear out the saints of the Most High, as Scripture says. <laughs> so these two men, when they heard that John had pointed to Jesus, they left him and they followed Jesus. And so Jesus turned to them, What seek ye? And they said, Where are you staying? So that night he stayed with two disciples. But they had been expecting Jesus as well. There was that there was that spiritual expectancy because of all that was taking place all around them. They were looking for the Son of God. And in that looking, they had made a mistake, which we'll get into. And it shows that we must rightly divide the word of truth. Now, whether you err in your dividing the word of truth or not, does not cancel in any way the prophecies that God has spoken. If no one believed that Jesus was Messiah, it would still have happened. It would still have taken place the way God said it was. And everything that we have from the, the point where Jesus was crucified, the church dispensation from that time until Jesus raptures his church is going to be fulfilled in every detail. And it's not very pretty whenever you begin to look at what's happening. We just got a phone alert this morning that someone was using our credit card and it wasn't us. Don't you get tired of seeing how that predators, the criminals are taking advantage of everyone. It doesn't matter the age, sex, or whatever of the individual. They are interested in taking what isn't theirs. And it makes you very angry because our 
judicial system is at the point where the criminal has all of the advantages and those that are preyed upon have very few. But anyhow, these two had seen the works of Jesus. They had just had witnessed probably in the raising of Lazarus. And then they had just come out of one of the most excruciating experiences that anyone can have in their life. Their dreams were absolutely shattered. And so Jesus is drawing near them. And seeing them walking and talking between themselves, Jesus joined alongside and asked them a question. What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Jesus knew what the conversation. He, he knew exactly the perplexity. And, you know, the liberal has a, a unique way of trying to destroy the supernatural events in the Word of God. He was saying, you know, it says that they did not know him. His identity was held from them. This one fellow said, well, it's because when they were walking on the road to Emmaus, the sunlight was in their eyes and it blinded them to who this individual was. They don't quit and they won't quit, folks. That's why we need to be men and women of the word. So Jesus asked them the question, what is the conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Jesus at this point is drawing them out. He wants to minister to them. But until they were willing to confess what was going on in their heart and the conversation they had between each other, he couldn't minister to them, so he asked them that question. The perplexity of their hearts came to the service in verse 18 and 21. They stood still, being sad. I think it was, a, it was impossible not to miss how their hearts felt. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, he's getting to the point to where he's going to let them confess their unbelief and failure. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet. Now mark that down. They said, a man who was a prophet. To them, he no longer existed. Mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people and how Our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So Jesus now has them at the place where he's going to be able to minister to them. When they said we had hoped and he was putting it's all past now. There's no hope now. They revealed to this stranger their shattered dreams, actually dreams of and hopes which were dead and buried. All was now lost. They did not believe what Jesus had told them, how he preached. They did not believe their old Old Testament writings, which, by the way, is errant from beginning all the way to the period at the end of Revelation. This this book that we have in our hands is literally, when you read it, God is speaking to you. It is the literal word of God. It is an errant. It cannot fail. But to them, (coughs) it, it had failed. They had hoped, and I think the way that they expressed themselves, the hopes and dreams were now dead and buried, all was lost. I think this is really the way that all the followers who had accepted Jesus as the promised Messiah felt. They they scattered. Look at the disciples. There was not one of them that came to the tomb on the third day that Jesus said he was going to be raised from the dead. They were hiding, fearful that their lives were in danger. And some of them didn't even believe when the report was brought back that 
The body wasn't there. By the way, whenever John and Peter looked into that tomb and they saw the place where he lay, the material they had put on Jesus for his burial had turned into a kind of a crisp, hardened substance. It was put on liquefied, but as it dried, it became kind of like a, like a, almost like a cast. So when they looked and they saw the clothing there, it wasn't all wadded up. It was in the perfect form of Jesus as they, as they wrapped it around him. They would put this ornament, and when they got through, it was like a mummy. So when Jesus was resurrected, that that they looked in and saw on the slab where he lay was in the perfect shape. of. But some, some of the disciples didn't believe that this took place. Their hope was lost as well. Now, the cross had become a failure to them, and how was this so? They had the complete scriptures, <coughs> but they misapplied what the scriptures taught to their own hurt. When I read that, I kind of thought about some of these preachers today that claim it and all that kind of junk that goes on trying to get people. If you just come and join my little particular congregation, your every supply, your your money supply won't run out. You'll have everything that you've always dreamed of. And then whenever it begins to fall apart, guess what? They're faithful. They we're not taught the truth. But these these two, they had the, the writings of God and the complete scriptures that they had spoke of a suffering Messiah and a Messiah who would sit on the throne of David, ruling over the kingdoms of this world. These prophecies are literal. If you want to write them down and look at them, well, I want to, I want to go to Isaiah chapter 2. But these are literal in their expressions. And this this is what they were counting on. They looked at this and they read it. They praised God that this was a truth. Chapter 2, verse 1 to 4 in Isaiah. You know, some of these Bibles, I remember when they used to make Bibles, they had a column and letters. The verse was numbered in a straight row. Now, you, when you got eyes like mine, you got to kind of look, well, where is that, that he's talking about? But in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations, that's the entire nations of the world, shall flow into it. And many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. <clears throat> For out of Zion shall go the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people. And then going over to Isaiah chapter 9, <clears throat> chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us... A child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and for forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What these folks did, 
is that the distinct prophecies, the two distinct prophecies of Christ, number one, they failed to read where Abraham, when Isaac was going to be offered up. And Isaac, by the way, wasn't some little boy that was a weakling. He was probably about 30 years old whenever he was going to be offered up. He could have easily overpowered his dad. I'm not going to get on that altar and let you kill me. But he was submissive. And so after he was bound on the altar, God stopped Abraham as he raised the knife to slay him. And we know that Abraham said, the Lord will provide himself or for him. I almost like, I almost, I don't want to change God's word, but I don't think it does. We could read it where it says, for God will provide him the lamb. Where is that found? In Revelation, the lamb of God slain the foundation of the world. So God did offer himself as the lamb that would pay the price for the sins of the world. And so they, they had this scripture, and there's other scriptures as well that spoke of the Messiah in Isaiah 53 who talks how that the sacrifice would be bruised, humiliated, be tortured for the sins of his people and for the sins of the world, speaking about the coming Messiah. Well, they had swept all of this aside because they maybe they didn't fully understand it and didn't seek to understand it. What they latched upon was the scripture which told of the Messiah's coming in total victory to rule the world. And in Daniel chapter 2, you remember where that the, the uh, king saw that great statue, and when it came all down, it showed the stone formed without hands that smote the great image and sh- shattered it to the point that it was the dust was carried to the four corners of the earth and was no more. And there's another scripture which says that ten Jews will lay hold, or ten Gentiles from the nations, all the nations will lay hold upon one Jew, saying, we have heard that your God dwells in Jerusalem. And they wanted to go up with him. They saw that. They saw all the things that God had promised Israel that were to take place after his first coming. His second appearance, they didn't understand. They put that first. And so it caused confusion and it caused these people to absolutely be devastated because they did not fully understand the scripture. And then for yourself, read Psalms too. How that... God is going to smite the nations of the world and is going to utterly destroy them. And Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David, which was prophesied throughout the old scripture. They did not rightly divide the word of truth to their own sorrows. And so when Jesus came to them on the road to Emmaus, Jesus hears these two confess their unbelief that the cross brought about complete victory. Remember, Peter got angry. Jesus talked about going to Jerusalem to suffer and die. Not so. Not No, this, this can't be. And then Peter, uh, Jesus rebuked him saying, get behind me, Satan. Very important that we understand and be able to rightly divide the word of truth. And so when, G- when they were walking down the road, Jesus, after he talked to them and they divulged their absolute hopelessness, the state that they were in, what did Jesus do? He said, oh, that wouldn't believe all the scriptures. That was the trouble with the Pharisees and with many in the, in the high up uh, echelon of, of the religious system in Israel. They did not believe They didn't want to accept the fact that the Messiah had finally come and that their position was going to be done away with. You remember they said, well, it's expedient that one die for the nation because their thought was that if 
this continues on in the vein that it is that the Romans are going to come and destroy us. So they would get rid of this one troublemaker who was causing so much turmoil in Israel and that would solve the problem. Well, you know what? The very thing that they feared was going to happen did happen. In AD 70, Jerusalem was completely, completely destroyed. Not one stone was left on another. You've seen pictures, and so have I, of the great stones that they pushed off are still on the streets, literally fulfilled. So Jesus begins now to work upon their hearts, beginning to bring them to the place to where they can understand and rejoice rather being so downhearted. You know, this Frenchman, this, this weeping Frenchman, I, I don't know how America would react. We're such a nation that is on the rocks already almost. But the French had been considered to have one of the best military forces in Europe. And so they had placed their hope in their ability to withstand the German onslaught. And when it failed, there was no more. We have never come to that because we have the full word of God and we know that whatever the situation in Israel right now, whatever it develops, and we know that the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war has to take place prior to the Antichrist setting up his rule, making that seven-year covenant with Israel. That's going to happen. So where is the United States? We don't know. Maybe we aren't here any longer. We have had so much light given us, given to us through the word and our forefathers you, you begin to read how that they cherish the Word of God. And some of the high ups, I don't remember who it was, Washington or one of the very highest men in government said that if we turn from the precepts of following the Lord Jesus Christ, who knows what disaster befall us? Because they understood that a nation that forgets will be destroyed. Isaiah, is it 60? Chapter 60 says that the nation that will not serve thee shall be destroyed. And guess what? We... Uh, not us. I'm going to make clarify. There are those in Washington and in other places of the world who are pushing an anti-biblical stance upon their population, and it's it, it's making it ripe for the events that are going to take. I'm so thankful that I know the Lord Jesus Christ, and that my hope is not based upon a strong military or upon man's solution to this world's problems, because. The only solution that we are going to find that's going to solve the problem is the second coming. I mean, when Jesus' feet stands upon the Mount of Olives. Remember the angels told the disciples as they looked at Jesus ascending up and disappearing, he says, why stand you here gazing up? This same Jesus that you saw taken up will come in like manner. And I think it's Dr. McGee that said, the very place where Jesus' feet left this earth, in the Mount of Olives, he's going to come right back to that exact place. I don't know. That doesn't matter. He's coming back, and it's going to be on the Mount of Olives. But he's coming back, and we are going to have him reign. But the horrible things that are going to take place to people, that's why I know that so many are carrying a burden for their loved ones. And the young people today, my grandson, he just had a little baby boy, a few months ago, born into him and his wife. He's in the process of buying a company that's quite lucrative in the process of how to put all of these huge electric motors. Some of them cost as much as $5,000 for one motor. And he's in the process of learning how to do that. He wants to provide for his family to work, but he doesn't know Christ. And our hearts are heavy for them because you and I know what's coming, not exactly when it's coming, but it's going to. So 
As God's people, we need to be about God's business in every opportunity that God gives us to witness and to be every day praying for our loved ones. On the road to Emmaus, Jesus hears these two confess their unbelief that the cross brought an absolute failure. But Jesus turns it around, begins the writings. I would have loved. Remember whenever they had sent to arrest Jesus, the Pharisees, those that ran the affairs of the temple, wanted him arrested. So they sent these guards out to arrest him. And when they went to arrest him, he was preaching and ministering to the people. And so they came back and well, where's the one we sent you to bring to us? Where's the one you were supposed to arrest? They said, no man ever spoke as this man. That's the one that's coming back, folks. He's coming back to fulfill every prophecy to the nth degree. Now, when Jesus had finished, these two no longer had that sorrow in their heart. They were, in fact, when they went to the house, they sat down to have a meal Jesus took and broke the bread. It says, then they recognized. Chuck Swindoll said he thinks that the veil was taken from their eyes and that as he broke the bread, they saw the nail prints in his hand and his mannerism. It says, when I was him, he disappeared. Can you imagine how excited these people were to get back to the others and say, we have seen the Lord. He has appeared to us. He spoke to us. He told us all the things in, the, in our writings that God was going to accomplish through him at his first coming. We were mistaken. The things that is going to be accomplished at his second coming is the complete governing of the world, taking all things under what it says, he'll rule with a rod of iron. But then they said, we fail to realize that his first coming was that he would pay the price so that all men could be saved. You know, one of the most dangerous things in the world, and we'll conclude with get out a little early, I think. When people hear the gospel message presented to them in clarity and in such a manner that they cannot be mistaken as to what Jesus came to do and what he accomplished. And they can walk out the back door or they can turn the radio off or they can take the track, rip it up and throw it away and go their own casual way without being disturbed by that. Those people are in the most grave danger because you have known that Jesus paid the price for your sins. And according to Acts, when Peter was preaching, he said, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then if you read on in, in the writings of, of Paul and, and others, we are saved now. We are members of the bride of Christ and what we are looking for. And I'm thankful that John is in, in the book of First Thessalonians will be going to Second Thessalonians where that we are not appointed to. You read that up. And then again, in some other writings, Paul's writing, he says that, that we are to comfort one another. We are to rejoice and look up because he's coming. And with all the events that's swirling around, the end, no nation is missing it. All the events swirling around this world is a testimony. Jesus could come before our next heartbeat and he could come before we walk out that door. And if he doesn't, that's fine. There's. Let me conclude in this. I was reading and came across this statement, and it's really quite profound because man has it in his mind that he is the one that is calling the shots. Remember when the decree went out that the entire world should be taxed? He thought, this is my idea. I'm going to collect all this money for the benefit of Rome. How is it that the decree went out to such a degree that the prophecy that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem was so close 
that she went into labor after they got there. That, that man didn't call the shots. God put it in his heart at that precise moment so that it would be fulfilled according to Micah. All those things are truth. But here's what it says. Isaac Williams wrote this. The unfathomable depths of the divine counsels were moved from the fount- fountains of the great deep. They were broken up. The healing of the nations was issuing forth but nothing was seen on the surface of human society but this slight rippling of the water. People didn't realize what was going on for the most part. Rome didn't know what was going on. Dr. Graham, one of my favorite writers, says that, Graham Scroggy, I should clarify it, Christ is the focal fact of history. All history before him was a preparation for the first advent, and all history since he came has been a preparation for the second advent. So what you've seen on the news, the alarming events that are taking place in our nation and others is a preparation for the moment when the trumpet of God sound, Christ will raise for which your life shall be caught up to meet them in the air and will be changed. I'm looking forward to that. I was in the store the other day and this lady was behind me. I didn't have very many items, but she had a, quite a basket full. And so mine had gone through and she reached up to get the little divider that divides the purchase. She said, I'm so tired of being short. <laughs> I said, I said, well, ma'am, you're quite unique. <laughs> so I'm already tired of this world. I'm tired of the horrible things that are happening to little kids, to women that can't protect themselves, to people whose businesses are being destroyed, looted, absolutely torn asunder by lawlessness. But you know what? That is what it talks about. When you see these things for your redemption, come with me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning and an encouragement, Father, and a blessing to our hearts. And we have the joy that these two said, did not our hearts burn within us as we communed on the way? And when the Holy Spirit burns in our hearts and he communes with us and brings to us the reality of what God's word says, Father, we just thank you, and we have a joy unspeakable and full of glory. And we thank you for your blessings to us that you've given to each one that will reach out and claim the gift that God has given us. Have your way in our life, we pray in Jesus' name.